0: Welcome to the Peak Performance Greatness Show. I'm Christopher Dedan, founder and CEO of Devian Enterprises, Inc. We are committed to optimize people's performance with tools such as peak performance speaking, coaching, and consulting programs for a worldwide international community. We believe that the only difference between where you are and where you want to be is acquiring the knowledge you need and consistently utilizing that knowledge to become a peak performing individual in every area of your life stick around until the end of the show, where we will reveal how you can become the next guest on the fastest growing inspirational educational podcast on the planet in 20 to 30 minutes. Let's go. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Peak Performance Greatness Show. I am your host Christopher Dedian. and today we have Axel Mayal-Ufa. So he is a real estate investor and there's so many things that we're going to talk to him about when it comes to real estate, about how he grew his portfolio, his past as a uh, Air Force officer. But before doing so, Axel, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you, Christopher. So I gave a small introduction of who you are, what do you do, but do you mind unpacking that and telling our audience what do you do
1: exactly and who you are? Yeah, absolutely. I try to be concise. This is one of my goals for years already. (laughs) So actually, I mean, you mentioned Air Force officer, so people still hear the accent a little bit. So my wife and I and our daughter came to the United States about 27 years ago, and the circumstance was that I was an aviator for the German Air Force. And in flight tests and stuff like that. And because of that, it brought me over to the United States a couple of times a year. And we were wondering, is there a way to be here for a longer period of time? Found out there's an exchange program where I could literally take a job of a U.S. Air Force officer and he took my job. So we did that and it was supposed to be two or three years And while we were in that, I was notified that the government had decided to offer me an opportunity to be a project manager for a follow on job after that initial assignment, also in the US. So my overall stay became more than six years and I got closer and closer and closer to my basically the end of my commission. And also from age perspective, you know, you can only fly these fighter jets for so long, and then you, your body is just basically indicating, hey, man, you kind of want to, you want to slow this down. So I then retired and immediately got an offer by a software company in Santa Barbara to become an employee, and they sponsored me for a residence and everything. And so we did that for a few years. And then I started my own business in 2005. And I started looking into what can I do for retirement for myself because I, I, you know, for one, just went to kind of quote unquote early retirement with the military, but also I knew I didn't want to really go the traditional path and work forever and stuff like that. And keeping in mind that just a few years before the big dot-com bubble had burst, I thought, well, anything that has to do with stocks is probably not my thing. And I looked for alternatives and that's how I got into real estate.
0: I love that story and very interesting things we're going to unpack there from you being in uh, uh, essentially the Air Force in Germany, doing an ex- essentially like a student exchange, but I didn't even know that they do that with uh, with the army. And that's a possibility. That's very interesting to learn that today. Mm-hmm. So that swap that you did and then pay- staying here, tell me, why did you want to stay in the States? Let's start with that. What was the allure of staying in the United States? Why was it something that was attracting you, your family and your your, your whole environment essentially?
1: Well, one of the things, and, and I don't want to make it sound like more negative than, than it might come across, because I'm really sometimes struggling to really keep that on a positive uh, note. But fundamentally, and I've actually I still have lots of friends and connections and family and so forth in Germany and in generally in Europe, but especially for Germany. Um, I would say the huge difference that we experience, especially the first few years when we came after we came over here, is that in Germany the glass is always half empty. And Mm -hmm. everything is anything. Really, you can you throw up any topic, it is first received with an enormous amount of skepticism. And the first reaction is to see what's wrong with this? What what why can't this work? What what where are probably things that might not come out the way somebody is presenting it to me. And so you have to imagine this kind of like you're super skeptical. There's this glass half empty thing. And then so we come over here. We are super warmly greeted. We are integrated in the community. We didn't live on base. We live, lived in, in the city. Our daughter went to an American school from the get go. Everybody was friendly. Everything that was presented was seen as a potential opportunity, and so experiencing this for about six years. I mean, initially we were like, "That can't be. That can't be it, right?" Like we know this is not normal, right? <laughs> and so over time, we kind of started realizing, "No, this is actually normal. This is literally possible." And also, kind of gave me personally, like in on reflection, now it's easy to say it. in hindsight, this is a, quite a while ago, but I started really wondering. Is what I had grown up with, is what I had seen, for lack of a better term, the right approach, the true approach, or are there alternatives? And it led ultimately a little bit, and it took a while, obviously, to say, well, why are there so many innovators? Why there is there something like Silicon Valley? Why are there so many inventions in my lifetime that came from the United States to Europe and not the other way around? And came to the conclusion, I believe, that one of the answers to that, maybe not the most important one, but for me answering your question, one of the important ones that I saw was you have to have this willingness to accept opportunity, willingness to explore, Mm -hmm. willingness to innovate, willingness to be open to things, willingness to let stuff kind of evolve rather than first go at it and say, okay, what could be wrong? Why couldn't it work? What can I find to basically give myself enough arguments to say, I don't even want to start. I don't even want to consider it. Right. And so that was kind of like an evolution that ultimately um, led to the fact to say we should try living in this kind of environment. And we didn't really have the opportunity while we were in the military, because whether you go German military, U.S. military, or probably pretty much any military in the world, even if you are, you know, pretty advanced in rank, You are in a military structure with military approaches, military procedures. So yes, the higher you get, the a little bit more freedom you get, but it's not nearly the same than basically in a civilian world. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean Axel that's very interesting just to to hear your perception and what I understand is kind of alluding to the American dream alluding to the constitutional rights that America kind of op- opens up that like you know that capitalistic approach that friendliness and kind of uh, embracefulness but one thing I want to highlight and not to like you know, nail this, this nail, but you kind of mentioned something about like the ideology of being pessimistic in Germany. And granted, I've actually been in, in, uh, in Germany, I've been to Hamburg and Berlin, beautiful place, great people. Like, I mean, the experience that I had when I went there was amazing. But why do you think that there is that pessimistic approach? Is that something that happened after the Second World War, if I odd uh, say? Is that something that's just in the nature of how that European culture is? Like, what would you speak to that?
1: Well, one of the things, and this is my theory, uh, not a whole lot of evidence uh, to it, but I think the social environment is probably one of the important aspects to that. And what I mean by that is when you really compare the two systems, and I don't know if if the, a lot of people in the United States, other than academics who dive into this kind of stuff, really evaluate the comparison. But what I mean by that, the social environment is if you really look at How our system here in the U.S. works is basically to say, from the moment that you leave high school, the path that you get on, the life that you live, the academic studies that you you go through, the possibility or opportunity to start a business, all of those things, how you live your life, um, where you want to live, all of this is basically your own determination. You have all these choices, but you also, in that sense, have these burdens to make these decisions. If you compare that uh, to the, and and I can mainly speak to the German system, but it's pretty prevalent in, in the other European countries with variations, you grow up where there is a system in which you are born, where the government has decided, together with like elections and evolution and the Constitution and so forth, that healthcare is a government need to be provided to the citizenship. Security, military, same like here. Police, fire. But also, if you are falling on hard times, clothing. If you're falling on hard times, furniture. If you're falling on hard times, an apartment or a place to live. Um, if you have too little money, there is a much, much, much broader system of social welfare, right? Like, so give you an example, take the pandemic in March, 2022, we had millions and millions and millions of people losing their job, literally losing their job because employers said, well, I don't have any income. I can pay you. So I have to fire you,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? We call that, strangely, at-will employment, but there is not much will (laughs) involved in that. Now, if you go to Europe, what did they do? Because of the social system and social environment, they didn't fire anybody. They have an established system that says, if an employer, for no fault of their own, has to stop or reduce activities, then people are going on to something that is kind of like a, a non-working work situation where you don't have to go to work. Your employer pays you about fluctuating a little bit, around 50%, sometimes 60%, sometimes 70% of your previous salary. And the difference is made up by the government. So you still have your job. You still have your income. You still have your life circumstances. And you're basically waiting out COVID. And there are people who have waited out COVID for 15 months now in this system. What does it mean? Well, on the one hand, it means the companies don't have to rehire new people and retrain them and stuff like that. That would be the economic lens. But it also puts you in a totally different mindset. And so in summary, the biggest difference that I see where the skepticism comes from is that when you live in a system like that, you grow this expectation that whenever something goes wrong in your life, the government, the authorities, the politicians, the parties are required to take care of you. Mm. And if you look at the comparison here, you better take care of yourself or you're pretty much on your own.
0: Interesting. So essentially, it's the ideology of the socialism approach, like you said, kind of healthcare care towards the aspect of like, you know, kind of making your own. And that's how it kind of creates that balance of.
1: Yeah, but there's—I mean—I want to caution that, and I told you before we started, we don't want to get into. Yeah,
0: yeah, we 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 kind of dove into it.
1: There is there's something called social capitalism, which is what is basically practiced in Germany and other 27 other European Union countries, and then there's socialism, which is what Russia does. Yeah. Right. So you have to really, and, and I'm really sad, I, especially the last two presidential elections here in the US, I was really sad that this term was thrown around claiming that how it was described here was anywhere close to reality. And it's not, not at all. And like I said, I don't want to dive too much deeper, but socialism and social capitalism are completely two different systems. And then what we have is not social capitalism, it's pure capitalism.
0: Mm, exactly and
1: so okay. if you look at the spectrum you would say we have pure capitalism you better do it yourself or you land on the streets literally and then this is why we have so many homeless i believe mm-hmm. then you have social capitalism where you do capitalistic system but you have a lot of welfare systems underneath that take care of people okay. like i described and then you have pure socialism which is basically you have no freedoms and you just a puppet that is moved around by the government.
0: Yes. So, okay. So me being in Canada, we're socialist, capitalists, uh, socialists with the underrun of being the capitalistic approach as well, which is the in-between, which is very interesting. Right, right. So, so that being said, let's kind of shift it back to the entrepreneur side of things of now, like you said, you were in the Air Force, you retired how did you find real estate? Why did you go into it? And what do you do in that regards? I do know that you have a very solid portfolio that you've started off since you retired for $1.5 million that you year uh, having assets in that regards. Tell us a bit about that. Tell us how you help people with the real estate world.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad that we're moving on to that. By all means. Yeah, but so, I mean, basically I said earlier, um, when I got into this civilian environment and on my own starting my own business and looking for... What should I do or could I do for building a retirement portfolio and stocks were pretty much out. And I started searching for what other options are out there and you might chuckle a little bit, but I looked because I lived in California. Okay. What do people in California do? And at the time, um, I came across a guy kind of like a little bit of a, of a European affiliation by the name of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Let's go. (laughs) the Terminator himself. And, Yes, I knew about him and had seen movies and stuff like that. And I was aware that he had started to go into politics and wanting to become the governor of the state. But what was more interesting to me is the answer to the question, what did he actually do with the money that came from the movies? And very significant amounts of that money had been over the years invested in real estate in California. Now, if anybody knows when he started making those movies that really started making money, I wish I would have been smart enough at the time to invest in real estate in California because it made him basically rich beyond financial independence, right? And he there is no reason that he ever needed to run for governor or needed to make another movie or anything like that. But it was interesting to me that a European immigrant from Austria who was a movie person was smart enough, or took this approach of building a really substantial real estate portfolio, and that triggered me to look further. And then you get into you know reading the books like the Rich Dad Poor Dad, and you get the little cassette tapes and stuff like that, which tells you how old I am, right? Like so, <laughs> so but that's how it started, and and it started purely just for myself. I just wanted to have this for my family as a long term um, protection, as a way to say if for some reason I can't make income. The military pension is definitely not enough to live off forever. I need something else that makes consistent income. And real estate was the right thing. And then as I built the portfolio, I, I think it's normal. If you and I had known each other, Christopher, at the time, I would have told you, you know, over a beer, a glass of wine, hey, I just did this and um, what did you do and so forth. And so my friends and, and and colleagues and family kept saying, wow, I never heard about this. And how did you do that, right? And then ultimately it transitioned into hey, you've been doing a whole bunch of things and you have created all this stuff that obviously seems to work. You should tell more people about it. And then we started a website and and mentoring program and so forth. And that's how it kind of evolved further and further into initially just me doing it for my family. And now I'm hoping to help more and more families basically follow in my footsteps and, and go down the path with me.
0: Axel, I love that. And this is the old adage of success leaves clues, right? And you looked at all, you looked at uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and in his book, he actually mentioned it, the total recall of that when he started real estate, even before he did his first movie, he had done real estate. And you're absolutely right. Everybody that makes a significant amount of money has a portfolio in real estate because like you said, at the end of the day, the market go up, down, left, right, sideways, but everybody will need a roof over their head and will need somewhere to sleep. And in the world that we live in, that's through uh, homes, right? So the aspect of having that as an approach, great. And I love the fact that you kind of notice, and this is how people really get into coaching or teaching others is when they get their knowledge at such a high level. At a certain point, it becomes so much That kind of comes out of your face, your ears, and all that. And you want to transmit that information to other people to help them. So I love that you've created that and you're helping people go into the real estate world. Now, in that regard, what do you do exactly to help them? What type of properties do you invest in? Do you do uh, single family units? Do you do apartment syndication? Do you do lease options? What is your expertise in that regard? And is everything that you do in California, because you didn't mention California, or is it anywhere else in the United States or in Europe as well? Do you have any things over there?
1: Yeah, um, that's a lot of questions. So it is, see. but I'm sure you can, you can handle, handle you know.
0: it.
1: <laughs> if not, I'll break yeah, it guess. down. But yeah, I try my I try my best. Um, so uh, first, I have to say, this real estate investing to build assets for my family's retirement or my family's longevity and legacy, if you want, had to be something that can be done on the side relatively passively because I built the consulting business for the purpose of consulting, not for the purpose of having a real estate company or having a second full-time job. So that basically meant I had to decide which of these many avenues that you mentioned, residential real estate, apartment, commercial real estate, business real estate. And um, I don't know, like, uh, storage units, trailer parks, um, new construction syndicate. I mean, there is all these different ones, but one lesson that I learned and I'm really, really fortunate because a lot of people, even the ones that uh, come across my radar have this whole spectrum in front of them and somehow have led to be, been led to believe that they should basically go after all of it. Mm-hmm. What I had to learn is you rather wanna go deep and really commit to a strategy and so to do it in a way that we ultimately ended up doing it myself and now doing and and, and supporting other people in it is to say we stay within the government protected residential real estate frame, hmm. which means you can have single family houses, duplex, triplex or fourplex. Now, this applies only to the United States, but those are the rules. If you go anything that has five doors or five apartments, five units, it becomes commercial. Different rules, different laws, different taxes, everything different, different financing. So I've basically initially for myself and now for our clients decided at least for the most part, that's the lane we stay in. Now to ask answer the question you said, is it mainly in California or not? No, the actual point is <clears throat> it couldn't be in California and still can't be and probably never will be possible in California. Because one of the things I learned, which I'm trying to get across to our mentoring clients, is most people, when they think about real estate is how much does it gain in value or increase in price. So yeah. I buy something for 100,000, if Definitely. I keep it for five years and sell it for 150, that's what they're looking for. But that doesn't really build a portfolio that doesn't really build passive income, at least not easily, and it doesn't last. So what I'm preaching, so to speak, is, yes, it's nice if something increases in value after you bought it. But for our purposes and what we're actually doing, I call that the ideal investor journey. And the first big milestone we want to reach on that ideal investor journey is the time freedom point, which is the point on the calendar in the future where your passive income is high enough to cover all your living expenses. Mm And from then on, you can go and say, okay, what other things do I want to know, do? Do I want to keep working? Do I want to reduce the amount of work I do? Maybe I want to do something that doesn't pay so much, but I can afford it because I have that passive income. So ideal investor journey to the time freedom point. And within that, when you want to make passive income, you need, and I'm preaching to look for performance, not for increase in value. Mm. Performance would mean, I want to try, ideally, to find a property, let's say $150,000 property, where I can ideally get $1,500 a rent per month, or 1%. Now, that is not very easily achievable anymore, especially for quality properties, but that's where we started. Now, we're more like in the $1,300, $1, or if you have a $300,000 house, it's not easy to get $3,000 rent, but maybe you can get $2,300, $2,400, something like that, but if you go to california <clears throat> here in my area for example the average housing price is right now between 6 and 700 and that's $1000 and that's not a particularly fa- fabulous house there's no way that anybody would pay me 6 or $7000 a month in rent yeah. right it, it just also makes no sense because if they actually would qualify to be able to pay that they would be better off to just buy a place like that and have maybe 3500 or so in in mortgage payments
0: exactly so-
1: that ratio, that lack of performance in certain places, California, uh, Oregon, Washington State, New York, East West Coast, certain areas, uh, metropolitan areas, um, uh, don't have that performance. Which meant for me, we had to go out of state. And so basically the ideal investor journey is also an out of state investing journey, which then means for the investments themselves, we recommend and help and show people how they can work with so-called turnkey providers, which are two kinds of organizations. Either the first one is they find a property that is in need of renovation. They renovate it, put a price tag on it that is reasonable within the market. We buy it and then they manage it for us. right? So that's the one case. The other case is they find a piece of land. They build a house on it. They put a reasonable price on it. They sell it to us, and then they manage it for us. So the only difference between the two is a new build property or renovated property. So that's basically the approach. And in the renovated, it can be, like I said before, it can be single family, duplex, triplex, fourplex. So that's kind of what we're doing. And that's also what we are trying to teach. And as you can imagine, as soon as you go from this fundamental frame <clears throat> that I hopefully explained now, And you go into the details, there's tons and tons of details, you know, like what's the right lender, how can I get the money, how do I use my cash flow, where do I put it while it's accumulating, how do I go from one to the second, the third, the fourth property and on and on and on. There's a lot of details and all of those are basically what I say the handholding within the mentoring program is to take you through this. And always referring back to what am I doing because I'm still investing, still growing my portfolio, and what have I done in the past that has worked.
0: I love that. Axel, I mean, the thing you just explained right now was the difference between capital gains and cash flow. And you're absolutely right. Pending where you are within your journey of an investor, I do believe what you said is 100% accurate. If you could create a or find an investment that's giving you positive cash flow and you're going to hold on to it is so much more valuable than any capital gain, unless you need cash money fast or whatever you sell it. But like you said, the game is to hold on to it as long as possible and find something that's ROI positive with you and your cash flow. And the examples that you give, buying a property that's 150, 200 and getting a thousand to two hundred thousand dollars or two, sorry, a thousand or two thousand dollars monthly uh, rent makes so much more sense than buying a property, like you said, in California, which is 700K and average property, you're never going to get those numbers. So it's not going to make sense for you to get the positive cash flow in that regard. So I love the fact that you have that. I love the fact that you niche down as well, because I think that's where people kind of lose their sight, especially as entrepreneurs of like, I do everything, I touch everything and all that. No, the money is not in the generalist. The money is in the specialist. So if you're specialized in uh, uh, real estate for uh, uh, commercial, not commercial, sorry, real estate for residential, and you know that that's your expertise, you can make as much as money as somebody that's in commercial. You just have to be an expert in that. So I love that. So Axel, I'm gonna ask you two last questions before we kind of jump off here. And my next question is definitely, it's very obvious that you've been a successful person just in regards to how you created your career in the army, went from Germany to the States and now legit an afterlife or like an after a career, not afterlife, after a career, you build this amazing uh, portfolio. Yeah, you're kind of laughing there, my little fumble. It's matrix, uh, you
1: know, who knows? We might be in the simulation.
0: <laughs> we might be in a simulation. That's a whole other subject. And I don't know if you want to go into that, but that's a whole other subject. Yeah, we're all getting controlled. So that being said, you've created a successful career after your career as well. And something that you're going to be able to leave to your next of kin and your family. Now, this is all great, but I want to know, and this is where people like learn a lot from, not only successes, but certain failures or certain difficulties. And my question to you is within your business, within your career, within what you're doing right now, what are certain difficulties that you're going through right now? And how are you looking at them to potentially improve them? Because there's a lot to learn with, entrepreneurs with the struggles they're going through and what they do to approach it so what is the struggle that you're going through right now as an entrepreneur and how do you go about approaching it
1: yeah one of the struggles is and this is maybe telling you a little bit about my personality the whole approach everything that we have discussed so far comes from a real deep belief in serving others hmm And with that in mind, what I'm struggling with and trying to develop better systems, more systems, more approaches, more ideas is how to maintain a high level of engagement when I'm not in the immediate process of mentoring someone. For those 10, 15 people that are in different stages on their ideal investor journey, we have contacts in email or text or um zoom sessions and stuff constantly almost i wouldn't want to say daily but pretty constantly but when somebody is either not in the mentoring program or has already graduated to a level where it's more in a maintenance stage that's a real struggle and it's not just so much a mechanical thing on what are the activities right you might say why don't you just send him another email the point is in my, more in my mind to say I really feel that I want to serve them better, stay more and more frequently engaged with them, and I haven't really figured out a great way or good way to make that in a, efficient. Right? It's it's yes. I mean, you can send all kinds of emails, but as soon as you say you go to mass sending, it's not personal anymore, and I I hate just as much. I mean, I always put myself in the shoes. Right? I don't like to get all of these kind of advertising and sales e- emails. So why would I be somebody who's adding to that, right? Yeah. So it has to be touching. It has to be hitting you in the right spot. It has to be helpful and so forth. So that's basically something I would love to get input for anybody who listens to us or sees us and says, Hey, here's a good idea that might help you to you know, do that without having to get a second job and a third job and so forth.
0: Yeah, I get that. So essentially it's once your clients become graduates, how do you continue building that community with them and being there to support your alumni members without continually spamming emails and so on and so forth. So that that's very interesting. And we'll, we'll definitely ask the, the audience if anybody has an idea, comment it down below, uh, me and Axel will look at it and so on and so forth. But yeah, very interesting in, in that regards. So my last thing to Axel, you are obviously doing some great stuff. Where can our audience and our listeners reach out to you if they're interested to go into real estate, if they're trying to figure it out, how they how can they contact you?
1: Well, the easiest way is to just go to the website, idealwealthgrower.com, and immediately pops up the opportunity to schedule a free um, complimentary call with me. And I do all of those myself because I feel we need to figure out if we resonate with each other, if we have basically common ground, and if you want to any kind of help and support from me. And um, other than that, I would say, if you just go on Google and put in ideal wealth grower, you find us on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter, on YouTube and so forth. So we have been very consistent to put ourselves at least in the sense of what we are giving out um, in all these platforms. And my intention with that is the mentoring is so specific to each person's circumstance or each family circumstance then we are very happy to be generous with all the rest of the information that we publish on a regular basis.
0: Hmm. I love that. So everything you mentioned will be in the show notes down below. So uh, I deal with Grower. You guys could go contact him if you have any questions that regards. Axel, thank you very much for being here. I love the conversation from even the politics side to the, the countryside to now ending up to understanding really the, the real estate and how you approach it. So a real pleasure to have you on the show.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Christopher. I really enjoyed it too. Thanks for having me. My pleasure.
0: Christopher Devian here. Thank you so much for listening to the Peak Performance Greatness Show. If you're a successful entrepreneur or entrepreneur who would like to be on this program, please visit our website at peakperformancegreatness.com. If you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot of your phone, text it to a friend, or post it on the socials. If you know somebody that could be a great guest, please tag them on social media to let them know about this program, and don't forget to include the hashtag Peak Performance Greatness. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We regularly put out new episodes and content. To make sure that you don't miss any episode, go ahead and click that subscribe button. Your thumbs up, rating, and review go a long way to help us promote this show, and it would mean a lot to me as well as my team. You want to know more? Go ahead and visit our website at peakperformancegreatness.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or my YouTube channel at Christopher Didier. Thank you for listening. We will see you next time. Have a blessed and grateful day.